go to the first book of the Bible, and uh, we're basically on page one, if you skip the preface and all that. Page one, Genesis chapter one. Uh, your Bible is actually a uh, library, not a storybook, although there's a story told, but it's a library of books. So if you just read it chronologi- or if you just read it from front to back, it can be confusing. That's because it's not, quote, chronologically in order, because no library is chronologically in order. It's a collection of books. So we're going to chronologically follow the story of God, which means we're going to skip some. But right now we're not because Genesis is moving pretty quick. So and we're still only in the very beginning. Uh, but we're not going to cover every word of every page of the whole entire book. So don't sweat that. But we are going to go through uh, all of it, really, and follow the story of God. So anyway, where we're at right now, we're talking about image. Just let that one word sit there for a minute. Just image. All right? And look in your Bible at uh, chapter 1. We've already talked about the God before creation. We talked about the God of creation. And now we're going to look at the act he does of creating man. So in verse 26, uh, we'll just read a couple of verses and then we're going to pull apart a lot here. The God said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea. Over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and everything creeping things that creeps on the earth. Um, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. And I pray, God, as, as I do pray often, and I mean it every time, Lord, that it's your word. I'm not trying to take it from you. You say what you want to say. And uh, let, let your words speak through my mouth and not my words speaking into your mouth. I don't ever want that to happen, Lord. I don't want to put my words where your words are. I want you to put your words where mine are. I pray, God, that you help us take what your word says, myself included, and, and become a student of that. And, uh, Lord, that we're able to teach others what your word has to say as we carry it with us throughout each and every day. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so there's a a movie that was out back in the 90s called Clueless. I don't know. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may have, may not. You've seen it, have you, Josh? <laughs> uh, Alicia Silverstone was the actress in that movie, and and uh, she kind of plays this wealthy valley girl who is um, super happy-go-lucky, uh, beautiful. She's also a virgin, and that's kind of the theme of the movie. And that that. She doesn't really realize what people really think about her, quote unquote, because she's just always positive and always happy, and people think she's not really in touch. She's clueless. Uh, but that's also the gift she has that she's satisfied completely with not knowing or not caring what other people actually really think. The irony of all of that, though, is that Alicia Silverstone, the actress, became a complete victim of what people think. Because that movie was made when she was 18, and when she was 15, a few years before that, she made her first big movie, which was called The Crush. And between the two of those movies, it made her this sex symbol um, that became a, a source of public sexual talk that was inappropriate on a regular basis. Uh, and it, it really made her uncomfortable and frustrated. A few years later, she did a movie, a Batman movie, uh, in the late 90s, and in it she had gained some weight. And then people mocked the death out of her because she'd 
put on weight. And as a result, she left the industry for a while. And uh, she never quit, but she said she despised acting as a result of that. And years later now, it's, it's hard to really find her presence in much of anything since then on screen. But on the other hand, saying, I don't care what people think. I mean, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me what you think. I'm going to be myself, and I don't care how you feel about it. Is that okay? Like, as believers, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not okay for you to be in that camp either. Because you are not the image of you. You're the image of Christ, if you're a believer. You're not the image of you. You're the image of Christ. So on those sheets, I always put this back there. You'll always see a statement. And this is what... I want us to, if you take one thing out of here, it's what I want you to really remember as we pull this apart. Then when we understand our image is God's design, when you understand that our image is God's design to reflect him, it makes our creation and our purpose have great meaning. So we can serve God without shame, without domination, and without disappointment, okay? So we're going to walk through that, and you'll see where all that's coming from or why I'm saying that. So go to chapter... 1, verse 26 again. And I'm going to read back through this. We're going to cover a lot today. We're going to do it quick. Don't worry. I'm going to keep you here all day, but we're going to cover a chunk. Um, but when I, when I read through this, I'm going to point out the plural and the singular words here. And it's important. Okay? So the plural words and the singular words, not all of them, but you'll see what I'm saying as we go through. And you'll understand why I say it. So, verse 1, then God, plural which we already talked about that. Go back two weeks and watch the video if you want. You can go online and see how can God be plural. But you're going to see this. Watch. God, plural, said, let us, plural, make man singular in our, plural, image, singular. So just really quick before I go on, God said, God is plural. He says us and our, which was plural, but the image is singular. His image is singular. So he's intermingling this idea of being one single person with this plural idea, which is where we get the word Trinity from. Go back two weeks. You can dig on that as much as you want. Man is singular. Goes on. I'm going to, I'm going to go quicker now, but he goes on. He says, after our plural single likeness, after our plural singular likeness, and let them, now that's plural. But the text, listen, this is important. The text intends two people here when it says them. Okay? It's intending two people, not 2,000, 20,000, 200,000, 200 billion. It's intending, in this case, it's intending two people. You'll see why I say that. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, that blessing is going to apply to these two people and their kids to come. But the point he's pointing to in creation here, he's physically talking about creating something, and he's talking about two of them. Verse 27, so God, plural, created man, singular, in his singular own image, singular. So the plural God in his singular own image, singular, and one man in the image, singular, of God, plural, he Singular, created him, singular. Almost done with the singular plurals. Just bear with me, it's important. Male, male singular and female singular. See how he just defined that? Male, one, 
female one. That for us makes two, thus we would say them. But he clarifies what them is, one and one. He, singular, created them, plural. Okay, let's go on. So verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, the heavens, every other living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I, singular, have given you, plural, both of them, Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in it, you, plural, shall have them for food and every beast of the field, excuse me, and to every beast of the field of the earth. I want to put field there. Put field there. It doesn't say that. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Now, we're not talking about creation. We're focused on the man, but we're addressing that because it matters, okay? So remember, God made all living things. You remember he said, according to their kind? Interestingly enough, he does not say that of man. He doesn't say he made man according to his kind. He says he made man in his image. So what does his image mean? Like, what, what does that mean? Does it mean he looks like us? He's got a nose. He's got ears. He's got a mouth. He's got eyes. Is that what it means? Can't. No, right? Can't. For one, the Bible tells us that God is a spirit. So, I mean, can't, can't be that. We are in, this is an important thing to remember, we're in his image. He's not in our image. So don't, don't look up and expect him to look like you. You're reversing the order. You're supposed to look like him, right? So what, what does he mean? Well, for one, think of it this way. He hears and listens. We know that, right? He hears and he listens. So because of that, we have ears. He sees. We know that. So because of that, we have eyes. You know, he speaks. We know that. So because of that, we have a mouth. He creates or he does things. So because of that, we have hands and and feet and arms. And you could say he cares. And because of that, we have emotion and we have compassion and we have those things. We're like him. He's not like us. What color is he? Man, I dare you to ask that. I just I just dare you to ask that question. It's such such a dumb question. I'm sorry if that's offensive, but it just is. I will say, I won't even go into it except to say one simple thing. That when he chose to become a man and be among us, he chose a Middle Eastern person. A Jew. Very specific race, without question. And that can tell you whatever skin tone he was. If that is really that big a deal for you. I can promise you it was not European, it was not American. Just saying. Sorry. It's a fact. So, some say being created in his image means, well... He is the Trinity, right? He's a plural God. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. So we have a body and a soul and a spirit. Some say that. Some say it's about like the comparison between the temple. The temple of God uh, in the Old Testament had an outer court, an inner court, and a holy place. Uh, we have our temple as the temple of Christ, the temple of God. Our body, we have body, soul, and spirit. Some people say all those things. And those might be true, but check the context. This is what matters to me. He doesn't just say, let them be created in our image and stop. He says, let them be created in our image and immediately says, and let them rule. 
Let them rule. So there's some sense that being created in his image is to have authority, to have responsibility. Either way, that's tied to the identity of the man here without a doubt. Some sense of authority, responsibility, a desire to care for others, to care for the earth, to care for the plants, to care for the animals. Something within that comes from God that causes the other animals and everybody to come to him. You know, some sense of draw to him in there. Um, you could also say that creativity, because God gives him the right to name the animals. Just as God was creative, man has that sense of creativity, a sense of self-awareness that the man knows kind of who he is. He knows who God is. He's able to communicate in a personal way with God so that he can lead others to worship the creator at some point. Um, all of those are tools for somebody who's going to rule or lead you know, and they are marks of the one who rules and leads the whole universe, right? But it would help if we had some more detail about how God actually went about doing this, and we have it. So I'm glad you asked that. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 zooms in on day 6. Remember, day 7 was just rest. He didn't create on day 7. So on day 6 was the last day of creating something. And so we're jumping back. The text jumps us back to that day. Um, and you'll see in verse five, slip on my shades, man. I'm starting to, I'm starting to lose it, coach. It's starting to slip, man. Uh, day, day, uh, six, looking back, verse five in chapter two, it says when. So looking back to when, no bush of the field, field there is like open country or pastures. No bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, much less trees at this point in that sense, on this piece of land, for instance. For, or because, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So, this is after day three then, but it's before day six, this moment that we're describing, based on what's already there and what's not there. It's after day three, but it's before day six. And there's a mist that's going up from the land, and it's watering the whole face of the ground. So this mist is going up from the land. So imagine God has pushed back the darkness and light's now shining on this piece of land. The the light's now shining down, and the seas and the rivers and the lakes have all been pushed back. And the land has come, he's raised the land up to where the land is there. And there's seed. Remember, he said, let the land produce. So it's almost like him as a a sower has gone out and thrown seed down and there's seed. And maybe he's causing them to grow super quick. I don't know. But either way, there's a water source where he's watering them. And uh, the word mist there, it can mean mist or dew or fog but what's weird is it says it was going up from the land did you see that it's going up from the land which is kind of strange because if you know anything about science mist settles it doesn't rise up it's it's coming out of the air on the ground well the word also and more frequently is translated freshwater stream so it's more likely that there is he's describing water coming up from the ground like he's watering the ground from a stream more than likely. Either way, the, the ground's being taken care of. And I'll make a side note. I'm sorry if this messes up your Sunday school history, if you had one. Uh, but it just says at this point it hadn't rained yet. It doesn't say that it never rains until the days of Noah. 
I don't know how that got plugged in somewhere, but that's not the case. It rains insanely in the days of Noah, and it comes up from the ground and every other which way. But there's, it may not have, but there's no reason to necessarily jump into that because the only place you see it says it hadn't rained is just on this day. It's just been a day. That's all. Just hadn't rained yet today. All right? Um, anyway. He goes on, he's, he organizes the stars so they can be seen in this calendar, this kind of map of the sky. And then he fills the water and the sea with animals. Then he fills the land with animals. And, verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath, that word breath is spirit. So, did he actually go, oh, you know, I don't know. But I think the intent there is that his spirit breathed into man. Why? Because he says... Spirit of life or breath of life. And the man, singular, became a living creature, singular. Literally the same language he used to the animals, but this one's different because God breathes into him specifically. God didn't speak man into the existence. God personally created him and gave him life like the animals, but more personal to God in some way here. More, more personal to God. And I like to picture, this is the way I like to, I like to picture, you know, God in some form. I, I don't know what that looks like. Jesus, you want to think of him like you would think of Jesus. God in some form, walking there on the dirt, you know, this soft ground that he had just formed, this full of seeds, and there's water on it, so maybe the ground is moist from the water that's flowing around as things are growing, and, you know, he, you have the birds kind of in the air, and the, the sound of Everything new and smelling new, and he bends down into the dirt, gets his hands down there. You know, you remember how, if you know the story of where Christ took dirt and spit on it and made mud and put it on the guy's eyes and healed him so he could see again? Well, this is like the before all of that, making the eyes. So he takes that mud, that dirt, and begins to mold it in that clay and he shapes it into a man. Now, if I made a man, it would look terrible. Because it's not something I'm good at out of clay, but, you know, this is the creator of all things. So what he made was amazing, right? And he makes this person, and then, almost like CPR, he breathes life into this creation that he made. It's unique from the animals. It's unique from the plants. He's totally different. Look at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden designed for, designed for the man. God planted it himself. In Eden, that's a specific land. Eden means paradise. So there's this land. How big is it? I don't know. Could have been huge. Could have been the whole Middle East if you want to look at it that way. I don't know. We know it was in that area because the rivers here are still there, some of them. So either way, in the Middle East somewhere, this big, huge garden, but within, I mean, sorry, this big, huge land called paradise or Eden. And in it somewhere, he puts a garden and it says that that in the east is where Eden is. And there he put the man whom he formed, he had formed. Now, I don't have time to go into this. I'm not going to now. You can come shout at me later if you want, and I'll explain why. But I believe that is the area of Israel. And I'll explain that later. He says in the east, east of what? You know, there's ways to figure all that out. I don't have time now. But either way. That that area over there, Middle East is not in doubt. That's where it is. And it's a paradise with a garden in it designed for Adam. And God takes Adam from wherever he made him in the dirt and puts him in that place. So it's intentional why he does this. Verse 9, and out of the 
ground the Lord God made to spring up, which suggests that he's doing some accelerated growth here. He planted the seeds, but he makes them grow quickly. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out to Eden, out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. I'm not going to go through all those. You can read them in your own time, except to note that at least a couple of them are still there. The Tigris is in there. The Euphrates is in there. Uh, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put or placed or settled him in the garden of or in Eden to work it. And keep it or care for it. Although that would have been a blessing because everything he did would have worked. It wouldn't have been work like why have I keep do, why I keep teaching these kids, coach, and they not hearing what I'm saying. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have been like that. It would have been a blessing. It would have been enjoyable. The lamb would produce anyway. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. Though it was pleasant and good to look at, just like all the rest of them." He said every one of them was, so, but don't eat that one. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, notice he's telling Adam this before Eve even existed. A little side note. Uh, telling Adam before, and we'll get into that stuff. We'll talk about it next week in more detail. But I love that the first thing God says to that man that he created is, you may. Like, we love to throw the Bible. People love to throw the Bible and God under the bus with immediately thou shalt not. But the very first word he said is you may. You may eat. And he gave them every single tree except one. It was not a choice between two trees. It was never a choice between two trees. It just knows there were two standing there. He had every tree except one. Every single tree except one. We'll talk about that next week. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. First time not good is defined here. By the way, he doesn't say it is a sin. He defines sin as eating this, as disobedience. This is not sin. He's just saying it's not good. We're quick to say if it's not good, that means sin. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay? He's saying it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Uh, here he's defining what he meant by them in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 27. Now he's defining, well, what do you mean by them? Well, he's going to create a helper that's fit for him. One man, one woman created here. Not mankind, not people, not some race of people. How do I know that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I'll give you a couple that are really important. One is, it, he says it was not the text. Plain and simple. says it was not good for man, singular, to be what? Alone. So we, didn't, we really don't have to read any farther past that. But then he goes on to say, so God made a woman singular from the man singular and gave her singular to him singular. That's it. Now, why, why does it matter? You know, some people like to argue that God created a lot of people. We'll get to why that is next week in some degree. But some people like to argue that God created many people more than just Adam and Eve. But if you do that, then you rob the Bible of something very important, and that is that we all come from Adam. And therefore, we're all what? Sinners. Yep, you don't want to say it, but it's okay. You could say it. Uh, it's a fact. It's a fact. And in a, in a silly side note, if God, if there were other People on the planet, why didn't Adam? Why didn't God send Adam to one of them? Why? Why all the drama with the rib and everything? You know. Uh, but the biggest reason for me is sin. I'll give you a couple of verses here that are really important and pivotal to the, all of the Bible, really. But Romans five verse twelve. 
Paul wrote this. He said, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spreads to all men because all sinned. That's fairly black and white right there. Verse 15 says in the same chapter, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's sin, trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. One man contrasted with one man, Jesus. Verse 17, he says, For if because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He also wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, same author, different people group, says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So if you rob Adam from the picture, you got the opportunity to rob Christ from the picture. Because Paul is saying they are linked. The one man who brought death to the world, now grace, hope, love, salvation comes through one man, Jesus Christ. But if there were many men, then you better figure out which man you descended from and who's going to be the one man from that. You know what I'm saying? You've got a theological mess, so I don't go for it. It's not true. It all came from Adam and Eve. All right. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Let's finish through here really quick. Verse 19. He says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Uh, that's pretty cool. I feel like God was standing there like or walked there. You know what I'm saying? Like it says he brought them, right? I mean, we, we, I feel like we tend to make this into like this like impersonal thing, like there's a voice from heaven or the animals just came to Adam. But I don't think so. He said to see what he'd name them. I think more like dad and son here. You know what I'm saying? Like, just brought, I'm not being silly, but you just brought him a puppy, like, what's he gonna name the puppy, you know, or something, I don't know. God, I feel like God himself is involved in this. I don't know what that looked like. It's okay, but I feel like he was. He says, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So God presents the man with the responsibility to care for other life and to name creation. Think about that. That means he is assigning identity to creation by giving it a name. He's got absolute global authority, Adam does. He didn't have to conquer anything. If there was ever a name it and claim it day, this is the one. Know what I'm saying? I argue probably not since, but definitely was back then. Anyway, verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds and the heavens, and to every beast of the field. So obviously, Adam is not an ape man. Or a cave person. He's intelligent and smart and involved and creative. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. Now, before you get twisted about the word helper, uh, let me point something out really quick. 
Keep in mind that God himself assumed that title. I mean, I give you a couple of examples. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or John 15, Jesus himself calls the Holy Spirit the helper. Verse 26, he says, when the Holy, when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He'll bear witness about me. So think about what that means, that the Lord is your helper. Does that mean he's lesser than you? Does that mean he serves you? Does that mean he does what you say? Does that mean you the boss? No. Eve is designed by God to be a helper to Adam, a complement, a provider of security, support, a voice of advice and counsel, somebody who's going to bear the burden with him, fight the battles with him, uh, comfort him. Helper is not in the context of stronger or weaker. That's not even the context. Helper is in the context of fit for him. Fit for him. That's, that's the context of the word helper. The point is they're not clones. The point is one is not greater than the other. The point is that they are complements to each other. All right. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place uh, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man or presented her like a bride from the father to the groom. And then the man says this at last. You could put an exclamation point right there in your Bible because that's what that's the way it actually reads. At last, boy, you know, Dave language. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, man. She's like me, but she hot. That's what he's saying. You know? I'm just saying. That's what it's, if you made it in our language, that's the way it would read. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So it's cool, by the way, that the first recorded words spoken by man is celebrating a woman. Just saying. That's right there. And Adam names her. It's kind of wordplay, even in English. He names her woman in English. In in Hebrew, the word is actually Ish is man, Isha is woman. So he's actually tying her identity into his in a sense. And he calls her Eve, but that's after the fall. Not right here. That comes later. So what's with the rib? Uh, people love going to this because anatomically that's not true. We don't have one less rib uh, than a woman. But the Hebrew word here, rib, is a much broader word. It literally describes, literally if you were to read it straight out, it says he took one of his sides. One of his sides. So it's used in architectural sense most of the time. That word for rib there most of the time is used in architecture, not anatomy. So most of the time it would be talking about a wall or a brace of some kind, a wall or something. So... It's more than just one rib bone per se. It's more like bones and skin and flesh. It's like the sides. It's not about the who's got more ribs. You know, it's not, it's not about that, but that she's made of the same substance. The same substance as man. The man's own flesh and bone is what produced this Woman, God made some things by speaking them into existence. God made some things by planting them in the ground and then causing them to grow. Uh, God shaped the man from by, with his own hands from dirt. But with the woman, God shapes her as well, but from the man. It's not about what God needed. It's about how he chose to do it. And it matters. Okay, I'll show you in a second. 
But it's not about what he needed. It's about how he chose to do it. And note, by the way, the woman is not created in the image of Adam. She is created in the image of God as well. How do I know that? Because he said that back in chapter 1, verse 27. We already read it. She was, they were both created in his image. She is the same essence as man, created in the image of God, and therefore a worthy partner to be in a relationship with man and God. Same thing. I love Warren Wiersbe said this quote. It's really good. He said, it's been remarked that Eve was made not from the man's feet to be trampled by him or from his head to rule over him, but from his side to be near his heart and loved by him. That's awesome. Verse 24. Therefore, almost done here. It's inserting a teaching moment. So Moses wrote this. So Moses is going, okay, so now that I've told you that much of the story, hold on, let me point something out. Teach a teachable moment here real quick. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they'll become one flesh. That's obviously for future generations because Adam and Eve don't have a father and a mother. So he's saying that Adam, Moses, years later, who wrote this, is saying, and that, my friends, is why you leave your parents and you cleave to your spouse. Okay? And then he goes on and he says, verse 25, let me go back into the story. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They have nothing to hide. They have no guilt. They have no regret. They have no shame. Nothing about their image that they don't like. Man, wouldn't that be a nice day to live in? Nothing about their image that they don't, nothing sexual about that. It's just there's nothing about their image that they don't like. The creation of woman is the climax, by the way, of all of it. Just saying. I don't disagree. I'll go right with that. Uh, also know that God created one woman for Adam here, taken from his side personally and personally delivered to God. There's no multiple women here presented to Adam. That's not an option. It happens, but it's never okay. Uh, it's also not a man. We're not going to go down that story, but that's crystal clear from what it says right there. So let's sum it up. He created in his image. What's God doing? In the New Testament, Paul called Jesus the second Adam. Why? Uh, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, verse 45, he says this. Paul said, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, he's talking about Jesus, the last Adam. Verse 46, but it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As with the man of dust, so also are all those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are all those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Again, I mentioned it was not that God required Adam's rib or side or to put him to sleep. It's not about surgery. It's not about he anesthetized him so he didn't feel it. It's about God's plan to do it this way. Why? Because it's the story of God, not the story of man. Okay? Story of God, not what do I mean? Well, sleep's a common word for death. In the New Testament, they are interchanged constantly. I'm not saying that Adam died in that moment, but what I'm saying is in the same way that Adam slept and God brought forth from his body a bride, Jesus, the last Adam, slept or died. And God brought forth from his body a bride. Who? The church. 
Paul would say the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus would say the church is the bride of Christ. Adam claims that she is of my body because she was taken from my body. Jesus would say the same thing of his church. In fact, you can go to Ephesians chapter 5 in your own time and read. Paul links the moment of the church with the moment of creation in Adam and Eve. Eve was a new creation taken out of Adam. We are a new creation in Christ. When the second Adam, Jesus, died, where was he placed in the grave? Do you remember where he was? Where was the grave that he rose from? It was in a garden. Go look it up. And who was the first person to see him alive? A woman. Right? And she mistook him for what? Gardener. Somebody who works the garden. I mean, I'm telling you. Even in creating man, God's already pointing to Jesus. Even in chapter 1 of your book, God is already pointing to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection right from the start. And that's why the gospel is so important. To see Jesus was to see the image of God perfectly. Second Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the image of God, and we are created in the image of God as Adam was, but we fell as Adam fell. But we fell as Adam fell, and that's the importance of what Christ did. We are a new creation through Christ Jesus. We are being conformed to the image of Christ now, who is perfect, who is the image of God. So what do we do with all this? Well, first I would say it should give you a sense of love for All of God's creation, but especially other people. It should definitely do that. It should drive you towards that. It should give you a a sense of like, look at yourself a minute. Do you feel like the image of God? Do you feel like the image of Christ? Would other people say that you are, you look like Christ to them? If not, like, what do you need to do to get there? What do you need to change or eliminate in your life to move that direction? And I think... Um, one of the most overlooked parts of the gospel, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yes, he rose from the grave, but he was also restoring all of what Adam lost. He was also restoring what was lost. Maybe you feel lost today. I don't know. Maybe you feel like that's you. You, you feel like you're wandering. You feel like you're lost. Maybe you feel like anything but the image of God. I, I don't know if that's you. Um, but I can tell you this right now. You can have that. It doesn't require you giving any charity. It doesn't require you uh, making any donations. It doesn't require you doing any good deeds. It doesn't require you being perfect. Uh, in fact, it requires the exact opposite. It requires you admitting you're not. But I will tell you this. It will cost you everything. Because Adam has to die. So that the new Adam can live within you. But it'll be the greatest thing you ever did. How do you do it? Well, it's simple. First, can you admit who you are? Can you say, yeah, you don't have to tell me. I know, man. I know I mess up. I know I blow it. I know. That's, that's who I am. You don't even have to. It'll take me two seconds to admit that. But I don't want to be that person anymore. Can you say that? Can you trust he is who he says he is? Hey, look, I don't have all the answers. I can't explain how. But for whatever reason, yeah, man, I trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And can you embrace and accept that what he did was enough. 
Like, I'll never be good enough. I know I won't, but I'll trust that that cross was good enough. I'll trust that him conquering the grave was something I can never do, but it will be enough. Can you do that? If you can, tell him. Don't tell me. Tell him however you want to tell him. And then tell us, because we want to pray with you. And y'all can come back up. We're going to do one more song, and then we're going to go. But I want you guys to take a few minutes, and I want you guys to think on this. I want you to take long enough to let it register in your heart and in your mind for just a second. If you want to come talk to me, you can. I'll be right up here. Josh is up here. And where you talk, grab the person beside you. Odds are pretty good. Somebody in here knows Jesus well. Ask them, hey, what's this all about? Uh, let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. Thank you again for the privilege of being in it and uh, the opportunity to dig deep and really see your face, even from the very first man. Lord, I pray that our faces, our actions, our deeds look like you in the same way, Lord, that that people see us, they see Christ. And I pray for anybody today that might be wrestling with it, Lord, open their heart, pour your Holy Spirit into them, Lord, save them today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.